Thank you, Katie. It's beautiful. Little, she's a gem, that little gal. She's a, she's big consciousness. She's just in a small package. So. All right. So welcome. If you're here for the first time, I'm the, I'm the, the guy today. I'm, uh, I'm Reverend Patrick Cameron, and it's my 15th year here. So I finally know my way up and down the hall. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to invite you to just, um, we are a, a center that claims to be a center for spiritual living, and spiritual living is, is, uh, is so important, especially in the times we're in right now. So I'm going to invite you, I'm going to not continue to destroy the silence by being quiet and inviting you to just simply settle. Feel your heartbeat, notice your breathing. The more you become present with the truth of your being, Something magical has an opportunity to reveal itself. It's not about doing, it's about being, it's about courting the presence as a lover. And so let's all be lovers of spirit. We are lovers of spirit, but let's really get clear about it in this moment. Yogananda said his prayer towards the end of his career was, God, God, God. So let's dip into the silence for 30 seconds and then I'll offer a song and then a prayer. Oh, if you know the song and you're comfortable singing along, please join me. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room so what I invite you to know with me in this moment is the recognition of the eternality of our being. We are not our minds, we are not our bodies, we are not our personalities. There's something more deep, more powerful, and more available. And so as we deepen in that relationship, as we open and put aside things that limit that awareness and that experience, in whatever way is right for you and right for me, we become a more potent, creative, impactful outlet for that which is seeking expression upon this planet.
So whatever that I may have within me or you have within you or is, is influencing your beingness in this moment, let us remove our awareness and our energy, whatever energy we are giving it. May this gathering this day open doors of awareness to make the unconscious conscious. This is my intention for you, for me as well. That as we, we come together and gather in that activity, life shifts and changes because there is a, a light and a wisdom and a genius that rushes in to fill the void or perhaps there was a limitation. And so I am so grateful to be with you this day, to know that, that, that my, my thoughts and my will and my intention have brought me here. And yet in order to access that which is so delightful and beautiful and bountiful, I have to put that aside as well. To stand in that, this moment, at each moment, is a clean, hollow vessel of possibility and opportunity. So I'm grateful for ears to hear and eyes to see, for a mind that can continue to be crafted and, and developed and deepened in collaboration with the call of my soul and the call of my heart. And so I affirm and declare healing in this moment at every level of my being, your being. We come together as a healing teaching, as a revealing teaching, and as a way of life. And so let us celebrate this way of life in every good way in this moment, in each moment hereafter. And together we say, and so it is. Beautiful, beautiful. There's just a beautiful energy here today that I'm very aware of. I want to... Um, I want to thank Robin again for her presiding. Did you leave the mic up there again? So I'm very tactfully not turn my back to the audience. <laughs> okay, see, I'm, I'm concerned somebody may leave if I turn my back, so. Um, just kidding. Got it. Thanks. That's, hey, this first day, first time? Oh, my gosh. Let's give Robin a hand for presiding. <laughs> Being willing to be uncomfortable and, and vulnerable. We're going to talk about that today. We have our classes coming up. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Pure Intent. Uh, it's a wonderful class. People asked me at the open house the other night. We had a really wonderful open house. And thanks so many people that joined. The program was great. I was, like, I was like, wow, we got a lot of stuff going on here. This is great. But to watch the things that we've developed and nurtured over the years and, and that are part now of our culture, you know, to have that sort of overview. But with classes coming up, and, and I'll talk about Pure Intent uh, later on, um, they're really important. It's where we get together, and it's not just the information. In fact, I would say the information is a bit secondary to what the experience can be many times because I think in setting the intention to step into that um, opportunity for learning and for understanding and for deepening, it starts immediately as soon as we make a decision. As soon as you decide you're going to come to the center on Sunday, I think there's a, there's a conversation that starts to happen within you. That's been my experience. So it's really powerful when we... we, we Put our attention on something and um, why would we want to continue to live in any form of limitation we're here to mass bring mastery to our lives in many many ways and we're all at different points in our on our journey and that's a good thing it's a good thing and when we know that even knowing that accelerates it we tap into resources that lie dormant so I'm going to invite one of our, our students who took the foundations class a year ago and had some wonderful things to say, and he spoke at the first service quite eloquently and beautifully. So I'm going to invite Gus to come up one more time and share with us his, his bit of experience, because I can tell you how great it is, but he's much more convincing than I am. So here's Gus. Thank you, Gus. Yeah. Beautiful. Good morning again.
Good morning. Wow, it feels, feels so good to be here with all of you guys. Um, one of the things that I struggled with the most before I found the center and took some of the classes uh, was my inability to have a balanced life. So I was full of highs and full of lows. And right there at one of my lowest points where I was, I was facing something that was very hard for me to face. One of my old friends brought me to the center. And it wasn't to help me or anything like that. It was, there was a job that needed to be done here and he thought that I was the right person to do the job. So as some of you may know, I was the guy that replaced the furnaces here at the center. <laughs> we'll get you guys here any way we have to. <laughs> but um, the funny thing is that even though there was a job to be done here when I walked in, I had a feeling that I wasn't here to do a job. I was here to work on myself. Um, and I couldn't explain it because I didn't know much about the center and I didn't know much about the teachings that were being talked about here. But I still went home and I was telling my wife all about it and how right I felt being here. And I had the need to come back. So we came for one of the Sunday services. And we continued to come. We loved it. But my own personality does not allow me to, to learn things slow. I needed to speed up the curve of learning. So I, we joined one of the classes. My wife and I joined the yeah, Foundations class. And we were very surprised to see how much in depth he gets into so many different topics. He talks about success, abundance, relationships, forgiveness, our own relation with, with everything around us. And that was fantastic. But equally as important and, and more powerful was the fact that he put us in a room with 10 other people. And it was 10 people that as different as we all seemed to be when we first walked into that room. Uh, through talking and through sharing, we realized that we were all facing very, very similar issues. And that, that created a bond. And it's a bond that I know will go on forever. And a bond that, uh, for that, I'm very, very thankful. And coming to the class, I realized that um, the reason why I was going through all these highs and lows is I was looking for sources outside of myself to bring that happiness and the joy and that balance that I wanted in my life. And I realized that everything that I want, I already have and everything that I want to be, I already am. All I have to do is to continue to do the work and continue to peel the layers and allow the best me to come out into the world. So I encourage all of you to take one of those wonderful classes and help the best you come out into the world. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Thank you, my friend. All right. This month, uh, the, the theme is courage, and it ties in quite nicely with uh, two months ago, we talked about wholeness. Last month, we talked about inclusivity, and it was really about the integration of all of our, ourselves. And this month, um, looking at courage. So we try and have a monthly theme. It keeps me a bit focused, and it, it, I think it helps us track in certain ways. And, and it, it's a beautiful fit. I've, what inspired it, and, and I've had this book by Brene Brown called Rising Strong, and it's probably a couple years old now. It's available in paperback now if you're looking for it. But you know, uh, the, the book is called Rising Strong, The Reckoning, The Rumble, and The Revolution. If you're brave enough, often enough, we will fail and we will fall. This is a book about what it takes to get back up. And life, my experience has been that life is really around not just the joy and the exhilaration and setting an intention and heading off in a, in a direction that's inspiring and it calls us and that it's okay to do that. I mean, part of the unraveling for me was that, you know, to, when I found this teaching was, it, I mean, it's okay. It's okay not to suffer because I was domesticated in a, in a teaching that really emphasized the idea of suffering and really good at it. 
And then we created a lot, because we believed that so strongly, we would create a lot of suffering around us. So to unravel that and say, wow, you mean suffering is, is an option? It's not a requirement? Yeah, so, but, but, so it takes time just to unravel some things we've been, we've been influenced by over the course of a lifetime. And so with the idea of courage, you've got a picture of a little girl here that's touching a grizzly bear that I think is quite a, a nice metaphor. I think it's photoshopped. I don't think any, I don't think any parent would send their little three-year-old daughter over to snuggle with the grizzly bear, but maybe, who knows. Yeah. Uh, but courage and the ideas. So today I wanted to talk about three ideas that I think really support what Brene Brown is sharing, and also it, it's a really wonderful fit for a, a number of things we've been discussing for several weeks, and you'll, you'll see that towards the end. So the ideas today are vulnerability, enough, and owning our stories. And there's a slide coming up that talks about what vulnerability is by Brene Brown. It says, the willingness to show up and be seen with no guarantee of outcome is the only path to more love, belonging, and joy. And you're going to stumble, fall, and get your butt kicked. Now, she doesn't use butt, but I thought I would clean it up a little bit for her. But this is the work in living a wholehearted life. And wholehearted, I believe, requires courage to follow your dream, to realize it's okay to not suffer and struggle. And how do we put that down? How do we transform that? So the vulnerability piece in her, in her 14 years of studying wholeheartedness, which has really been the focus of her work, uh, she has had the, Brene Brown has had the opportunity to work with amaz amazing people from top entrepreneurs to Fortune 500 um, successful individuals, Couples who've maintained loving relationships for more than 30 years. Parents working to change the education system. And she's gathered this information together. And she, and she asked the question, what do these people with strong relationships, parents with, with deep connection to their children, teachers nurturing creativity and learning, clergy walking with people through faith, and trusted leaders all have in common? And the answer that she came up with was they recognize the power of emotion and they're not afraid to lean into discomfort. So that, that in, in what is easy to do, especially with our teaching, where all of a sudden we realize, I don't have to struggle anymore. And I'm going over here, and it's all joy, and it's all light, and it's all perfect, and it's all happy. And as much as that's a lovely idea and can be part of our lives, it's not the total totality of our lives, because there's another part of it. But there's, there's disappointment, there's heartbreak, there's... There's failure. We fall at times. And so how do we have that? So it's not as if <clears throat> it doesn't work. It's just simply as we, we dismantle that structure of knowing so that we can have a, a more balanced and harmonious experience. So that when we fall, it's not months and years to, to get back up. It can be moments. Because we understand who we are so clearly. We're grounded in the truth of our being. Not superior to anyone else, but to simply know who we are and our place to be in the world. And when we understand that, there's a grace, there's a beauty, there's an energy, there's a momentum that is quite powerful and beautiful. So the recognizing the power of emotion and not being unafraid to lean into disappointment. Uh, uh, three months ago, Laura and I, our son and daughter-in-law had a little baby girl three months early. So she came just at about 26 weeks, 24, 26 weeks in there. And, you know, knew nothing about preemie babies until that, this all happened. And thank you all for your prayers. Um, 
But it's been quite a journey of vulnerability because for, through the whole thing, you just don't know. And you're kind of ho- you're hoping, you're not kind of, you're hoping for the best, you're hoping for the best outcome. And so when preemies are born, um, their lungs are underdeveloped, they don't nurse, uh, there could be trouble with their eyes, could be trouble with the brain. So Julia is the baby's name, Julia Carroll. And Julia showed up, uh, she was obviously impatient to get here, didn't need an extra three months in the womb. And it's very hard to, to duplicate the womb, as we found out. But that's what they attempt to do. And so she was at one of the finest hospitals in the world for this type of situation, the Royal Alex. They have a ICU there for children, a neonatal ICU. And these nurses are incredible. And, you know, when she was born, we're, we're looking around, and actually one of the nurses that's there is a member of our community, a longtime member. And we're kind of hoping to hear something positive, you know, like give us a little bit of hope. And she just looked at us because she's done this hundreds, if not thousands of times, and said, well, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And so she had a little what they call a brain assault. So there was some bleeding in the brain. We didn't know if she'd have to have surgery to stop the bleeding. Um, we didn't know if her digestive system was developed enough because sometimes you know, they're feeding off the umbilical cord and sometimes the digestive tract is still developing. And many times the preemies uh, start, cannot digest food, so they don't make it. Uh, could be problems with the heart, could be problems um, with the breathing. So, she, of course, she's on tubes, breathing assistance. Um, um, had a feeding tube. So anyway, she was born at two and a half pounds. Of course, as newborns do, they lose weight. So she immediately dropped to two pounds. So two pounds is pretty small. You know, it's like a handful of baby. And uh, so she was there, and her mom was down there every day with her. The, 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 I didn't share this at the first uh, uh, lesson because I forgot, but the number one modality for these kids that is the most therapeutic and beneficial is the flesh-to-flesh holding the baby on your chest. Isn't that remarkable? They found that in Bosnia, when the wars were going on in Bosnia, and they didn't have enough incubators. But they'd have preemie babies, and so the doctors said, the only thing we got are the mothers. So they'd bring the mothers in, and the mothers would hold the baby as often as they could. It's called kangarooing. But they have found that to be the most um, effective. So we asked for your prayer support. Um, The brain bleed, they call it the assault, the brain assault has been shrinking as they do MRIs. The eyes sometimes have to have laser surgery because they're underdeveloped. Didn't need that. She's breathing on her own. She's now over seven pounds. Yeah, thank you. And she came back. She came home uh, last Sunday. And so we went over, or we saw her last Sunday. I think she may have come home Saturday, but we, the kids wanted a day to just, because they're exhausted. They're just flat out exhausted. You know, it's not just going, it's and you know that when you have loved ones in the hospital, but they are just catching up on their sleep. Um, but through this whole thing, the doctors at times have said, use the word miraculous many times. And our daughter-in-law, Joanne, we call her Joe. Joe, in talking with Laura many times, you know, and our knowing for the baby was just right and perfect health, whatever it is, because the other piece of this to understand, and this is the beauty of having, I think, a philosophy that, that I think makes it a bit more um, inclusive in terms of perspective, but this little baby, this two-pound baby has a soul as well, and part of this equation is, is this two-pound little soul in this two-pound body, this huge soul in this two-pound body, deciding whether or not it wants to be here. 
You know, my teacher used to say to me years ago, who's to say that a, a baby that is born and then and transitions or dies within a week or two is not a successful incarnation? Now, it's heartbreaking. And of course, we would be very impacted by that. But to have that perspective and realize, you know what? We're, and so what, what was nice to know is everything that could be available was available to this child, including affirmative prayer, including people that know how to pray and hold the high watch for a soul and know that whatever it is, it's supported. And so, but there's a vulnerability in that. And so what Laura did for Joanne in the interaction as the mother-in-law was that she was able to lean into the emotion, not only for herself, but also with our daughter-in-law. Because she would say to her many times, you, you have no doubt, you're not afraid. This isn't creating fear in you. She said, no, I have no doubt. Now, it doesn't mean it's magic. It doesn't mean we control everything because the, the baby could have checked out. But it serves no one to spin into the worry and the fear because that's an energy. And so it's such a small example, but it's very personal to me in, in terms of vulnerability. We don't know the outcome. But I'm going to stand in the outcome. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring my best to this. My opportunity right now on this planet with all of the nonsense that's going on, I'm bringing my best. And my best varies from day to day. Some days, if I've been road hard and put away wet the day before, my best isn't all that great. And there are other days where, man, I'm like ready to go. But, but the point is, is that when we understand who we've chosen to be here, why we're here, what a gift this life is, what a gift each one of us is. And, 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 and let's bring our best today. That's all we got. But this idea of vulnerability, we have a whole culture now based on this uh, uh, internet, this uh, uh, connection, this Facebook stuff. Facebook, 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 Facebook. And Facebook's great if it's creating connection. But what they're finding now with studies is that there are a lot, there's a whole generation of kids coming up that don't want to have a confrontational conversation with anybody. That they'd rather do it by email. I don't want to meet you in person. And so what it does is it, it, it nurtures and celebrates fear and avoidance. And that's not healthy. It's just a way of avoiding the reality of life. We've, we've got a culture now. We're coming out of it. We're starting to wake up. We slid away off the, the rails and said, oh, we don't want, no one can feel bad. The worst thing that can happen to you is feel bad. Like I said last week, I've felt bad 15 times already this morning and it's only noon, okay? I just don't make it a light, I don't make it a theme of my life. It's okay to feel bad. I, got, I was standing in the line, somebody said something to me this, this morning, I got triggered. I had to go back to my office and do a, a, a sheet, the cue sheet. I said, ah, I'm not bringing this energy. I'm, what, the, what got triggered here? I'll talk about that later. Because it's unacceptable to me. I'm not making that a way of life. Boom. You get, you get hit with something. So the point is that, that courage requires fear. Make sense? No point in being courageous if, if there's no, nothing to be courageous about. And so understanding that and standing in that together is, is going to be quite beautiful and powerful. So this whole idea of communication with this generation... And, and avoiding that confrontation. It's fear-driven. You feel too vulnerable, too uncomfortable. But when you understand what vulnerability is, you don't make it a way of life. You just move yourself. You go, oh, really? I'm feeling vulnerable here. What's that all about? There's a wonderful quote by Samuel Wells. He's the vicar of St. Martin's of the Field. And he wrote, if the fundamental human problem is isolation, which it can be. When you look at addicts, it's a form of isolation. They self-medicate with whatever the addiction may be so they avoid interaction. 
If the fundamental human problem is isolation, then the solutions we are looking for do not lie in the laboratory or the hospital or the frontiers of human knowledge or experience. Instead, the solutions lie in things we already have, most of all in one another. So it's not avoiding one another, but it's being able to move into the relationship with one another more healthy and vibrantly and beautifully. The willingness to show up and be seen without any guarantee of the outcome. That's courage. Hey, I'm here. I'm showing up. Bring it on. What do you got? The next piece I want to talk about today is is this idea of enough. Enough. Enough is a very powerful idea. So that we, when, when that chatter goes on in our minds that says, oh, you didn't do this right, and you didn't do that right, and you don't deserve this, and you got to do this, and you didn't measure up, and you didn't, and, and, and to be able to just slow ourselves down and say, enough. Enough is enough. Who I am in this moment is enough. What my contribution is in this moment is enough. Enough, enough, enough. Enough is really powerful because it cuts all that off. It can cut all that off. You might have to say enough a few times to yourself. Enough of this nonsense. Enough of this confusion and chaos. Enough. You are enough. It doesn't mean there isn't room for expansion or improvement or shift or change or creativity. But to realize, wow, I have a foundational piece here. Enough. Today's enough. Because what happens is this idea, the opposite of enough is scarcity. Scarcity thrives in culture where everyone is hyper aware of lack. Do you realize we live in a culture that we are hyper aware of lack? Listen to the, I mean, you listen to the radio and it's the, what the Canadian dollar is worth and what oil is worth and what the NDP is doing. And, oh my God, I mean, what would we do if we didn't put all the energy into worrying about not enough? I mean, it's an important thing to be mindful of, but it, should, it, should it occupy 24 hours a day, our, our awareness? Because it's enough. See, the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's enough. You all had enough to get here today. You all had enough clean clothes, most of us, to get dressed and show up today. I mean, and, and, and to celebrate that. Wow, I got here today. There's no guarantee for tomorrow. Just like you, I'm planning on living forever. I did a memorial service yesterday for a a guy. Went to the hospital a week ago, having some lung problems. Gone on Saturday. You never know when we're going to walk through that doorway. But the point is, is this is enough. Enough is enough. It's like having a meal. One of the problems is, you know, is the practice of being mindful with food. So when do you have enough? You know, because there may be more, more in the kitchen to go have. But when we know we've ha- we have enough, I mean, it's such a great metaphor. That whole idea of we need to fill ourselves and fill ourselves and fill ourselves till we get that really full feeling. Enough. Like my friend, my sweetheart, Laura, always says when we go out to dinner or we're, we're having a meal less, less than spectacular, and I will start to comment on it. And she'll say, there's another meal in four hours. <laughs> I like that. Because I'll tell you what scarcity does. I've thought a lot about this because I watch, I watch the political thing and I listen to the comments. And 
There's a guy that got, got elected to a very important position. I'm not going to name any names today. You know who I'm talking about. And what he did is he did the classic example of what triggers us. When you can identify, when we get up in the morning and figure out, and the question we ask ourselves is, what will terrify me today? Let's find that problem. And who can I blame? So, what will terrify me today and who will I blame? I watched a wonderful presentation uh, uh, recently on the Irish and I have a big Irish background and you know, all this stuff and I'm, I'm looking at all the themes in this cultural thing. But in Ireland, when they, would, when they, would, uh, they, they had this tradition where they would prepare the field on the Feast of St. Bridget, which was February 1st. They would go out and prepare the land to plant the potatoes. The potatoes came from South America. And it, became, it was such a fertile ground for them in Ireland that that became their staple. <clears throat> well, so uh, February 1st, they would prepare the ground, Feast of St. Bridget. On St. Patrick's Day, they would plant the potatoes. And then on Halloween, they would harvest the potatoes. And in that culture, you know, the same as here where your sunlight goes, goes down. So then what would happen in, the, in October through the spring, you know, coming into you know, March again, they would spend time in their cottages telling stories. So their whole culture was around story and it was around the potato. They would boil a big thing of potatoes. They would dump those boiled potatoes into a basket in the middle of the little cottage. Everyone would eat. When the people were done eating, then the animals would eat. Everybody ate potatoes. And so then the potato famine came in 19, uh, 1845. First year they lost half the crop. The next year they lost all of it. A million people starved. They were eating grass on the hillsides. Nothing to eat. Had nothing. And a million of them migrated. And when they came to the United States, there was a lot of them. And a lot of people in the United States said, hey, what's up with this? These people are strange and weird and we don't want this. And so the Protestant, because this was the Catholics coming over, the Protestants that were in power said, I tell you what we're going to do, we're going to establish a, a secret society. And so the members of the secret society will all be Protestant. If you married a Catholic, you can't be part of the group. And we're going to work to get legislation to ban these immigrants. Because they're different and we don't want them here and they're threatening the status quo. And many of the ideas that came up as a result of that bias and the result of that effort transitioned into what we now call the Ku Klux Klan. And I thought, isn't it interesting how cycles repeat themselves? Because I've heard this conversation recently. And this is an idea around scarcity. So the reason that we don't want these folks coming here is because there's not enough. There's a lot of people that believe that. Let's get that wall built, that Mexican wall. Yeah, let's get that. Let's spend $25 billion on that instead of educating our kids and, take, and taking our preemie babies and caring for them. I don't know what this baby would have cost in the United States. I'm so grateful for the Canadian health care system. I tell you, man. Holy cow. 90 days in the ICU with a full-time nurse? Oof. I can't even imagine. Don't even want to imagine. But they're going to get a wall built. Because I'll tell you what. Somebody's been scaring people long enough. There's the problem. That group's the problem. They're the, they're the reason. They're the fault that we're, we're struggling. And that's just not true. But it's so easy to fall into the trap because our brain is neurologically wired for story, laughter, and shared collective emotion. Long before research. So the Irish would tell their stories. They'd tell the ghost stories many times, and then people would be scared to walk back to their own cottage because they knew the ghost was out there to get them. You know, I'll tell you my ghost joke someday when I'm 
Not quite so sober. Anyway, <laughs> but when something difficult happens, we automatically look for story. We look for a beginning, a middle, and end. So one of the reasons I wanted to share this story with you about my granddaughter is now she's come home, that's seven pounds, she's, uh, the, the, the brain assault is dried up, the, the, the eyes are good, the lungs are healthy, she's gaining weight, she's home, she's, you know, she's just this adorable little presence. And she's like a newborn. It's very fascinating. It's just like she was just born, even though she was born three months earlier. So we have the beginning, the middle, and the end because our brains demand that. The brain is wired for one thing above all else. They know this now. This isn't me making this up. They measure this and they know this. We're, we are wired for story. We love story. The brain says, give me a story so I can protect you. It gives us a place to stand. We need a bad guy, a good guy, dangerous, safe, our, our friends, our enemies. And what happens is, the reason we need it, there's a chemical effect that happens in our brains. So to facilitate change, why doesn't, when I come and I hear this talk, we need to trick ourselves. We need to trick our brains to make changes. And there's ways to do it. There's all kinds of books. I'm, I'm looking at some things to incorporate into some of the education. You need to trick your brain. Stop yourself. Stop doing it because you go right there with the story. You figure it out because the brain rewards us for a story regardless of whether it's accurate or not. So when someone in power who has the microphone says to us, you know, we need to do this because this is the problem, so you should be afraid of this, and then this is what we'll do to, they're the problem, we'll go right along with it because our brains agree with it because our brains don't know whether it's true or not, doesn't care because we're having that chemical experience that we're used to. As Dr. Joe Dispenza says, it may not be productive and healthy, but it's familiar. And to have the awareness, part of waking up is realizing, you know what, this is a familiar story I continue to buy into, but it's not the truth of my being. And so it's really important. Because what happens when the story is inaccurate, it lacks the vibrancy that can pull us forward in a powerful way. It lacks integrity, it lacks ethics, and that lizard brain wiring, we get lost in it, the fear and the confusion. Because if we are asleep, we let the story, which provides the chemical release, to determine our way of being. This comes right from Brene Brown, which is exactly what Dr. Joe Dispenza is talking about. So it's interesting. Enough. The opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's enough. You are enough today. What if you lived in enough without comparing? I got enough today. It's all relative. Because scarcity isn't just a poor person's problem. We may think it is. There are many wealthy people out in the world right now that live in scarcity all the time. You know, what's $5, what, what is, what is you know, $500,000 to me, to some people on this planet, is $5. It's all relative. And I'm not picking on them, but it's just so interesting. And so are they any less fearful and living in lack? with their half a million? Probably not, because it's a mindset. So owning our stories is the other piece I want to talk about. Owning our stories and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. Owning our stories. This is part of the, the theme that I've been hammering on for two months now about the inclusivity, the integration of both the light and the dark. That, that the, the courage and the fear 
that, that, that there's parts of ourselves, that shadow that I talked about over and over and over again, we continue to talk about. Those aspects that we won't own of, of, of ourselves or don't want to acknowledge, when in fact, when we own them, it takes the charge off them. Yeah, I can be that, I could be that, I could be that, but I don't live that way, but you can come along with me. So then when I have someone that's showing up and modeling that for me, I don't have to get angry because I've integrated it. This is who I am. This is what I stand for. Not that. And so when all of a sudden someone comes along and says, well, here's what you need to be fearful of, you can say, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to join that tribe. That's not my tribe. I don't believe that there's groups of people on the planet that I need to be afraid of. I can be mindful of them. There certainly are people out there that behave in ways that are unacceptable. But here's what I know about this. If I am grounded, if I am prayed up and connected and in co-creation with spirit, if I understand in the depths of my being who I am and whose I am, then I'm going to be guided to the right and perfect situations always. Wherever I go, I'm in the right spot. But if I live in fear and I live as a victim, I'm going to find myself, I'm going to put myself in environments where that consciousness, that energy can play itself out. If I live in victim consciousness, guess what comes into my life? People that will want to victimize me. But if I say enough, I no longer live as a victim. Enough of this. There's nothing to fear here. Even with our granddaughter. When Laura would say to our our daughter-in-law, there's nothing to fear here. And she'd say, look at her and say, you really believe that? Because she was in the fear. And we say, yeah. That's the only thing that, that, that's the best I can bring to this. It doesn't deny reality. As I said, and there's many variables, and this kid could have chosen to check out and not continue. And we would still bring ourselves back from that heartbreak and disappointment and not be afraid to lean into the discomfort. Otherwise, it becomes a theme that we just keep carrying with us and dragging along and dragging along. So owning our stories. So Brene, Brene calls this owning our stories, this process of reckoning, the rumbling, and the revolution. The reckoning, the rumble, and the revolution. There they are. So the reckoning is characterized by men and women who rise strong, as she says, and are willing and able to reckon with their emotions. First, they recognize they are feeling something. A button has been pushed. Anybody here had a button pushed? Yeah, just... I was standing in a door there 45 minutes ago, and I thought, hmm, all right, that one got pushed. All right. They are hooked. Something is triggered. Their emotions are off kilter. And then they get curious. This is the difference. Then they get curious about what's happening and how what they are feeling is connected to their thoughts, their behaviors, and their history. So that's the reckoning. Understanding, I got triggered here. Wait a minute. Because when you're awake and aware, uh-uh, and, and, and Donald Trump says, okay, I said his name. Donald Trump says something, <laughs> and you get your button pushed. What's that all about? Hmm. Number two, the rumble. The rumbles where men and women who rise strong are willing and able to rumble with their story. By rumble, she means they get honest about the stories they've made up about the struggle. We all make up stories. We're all making it up. Linda Wolf, the story I make up about you is the following. The story I make up about you is the following. See, when we, and we, when we phrase it that way, we take ownership and responsibility. And then it's, then it's not our truth, it's just our perception. Could be different, subject to change. 
By rumble, she means to get honest about the stories we've made up about the struggle, and they're willing to revisit, challenge, and reality check these narratives as they dig into topics such as boundaries, shame, blame, resentment, heartbreak, generosity, and forgiveness. Rumbling with these topics and moving from first responses to a deeper understanding of our thoughts, our feelings, and behaviors gives birth to key learning and who we are and how we engage others. The rumble is where wholeheartedness and change begins. So this is about leaning into the feelings, not denying them, not praying over them, not saying everything's right and perfect. And number three, the revolution is where we rumble with our story and owning our truth in order to write a new, more courageous ending transforms who we are and how we engage with the world. But isn't this lovely to have a roadmap of possibility? Men and women who rise strong integrate the key learning that emerges from the rising strong process into how they live, love, lead, parent, and participate as citizens. This has tremendous ramifications, not only for their own lives, but also for their families, their organizations, and communities. So one of the reasons I've been talking about this Q process is, and what I've just described here is exactly what Dr. Gary Simmons has laid out in the Q process. You identify a trigger, you write it out, you identify the emotions, you go to your earliest experience of that, you write that out, and it's very little writing. It doesn't give you a lot of space to write because it's not about going on and on and on. It's just cutting to the chase. And then you rescript it, and then you release the energy. And what would your life look like? Write a narrative, and there's probably 10 lines there, and it's you know, a sheet of paper wide. What would your life look like if you hadn't been triggered as a, as a three-year-old kid? and played that out, that theme, that story that you made up about that experience. As I look back and my parents, you know, my parents didn't have any time for meaningful conversation. Man, we had to get another meal going. Eleven of us running around. I, I spent so much time fighting with my sisters about who was gonna wash and who was gonna dry dishes. I mean, God, if I could get that 10,000 hours back, I would be so happy. It was always a battle. Always a battle, screaming and hollering. And my dad would come out, and, and he was such a patient and kind man. He wouldn't hit the girls. He'd, he'd beat on me for a while, and then into submission, and he'd scream at the girls. And then, of course, we, we'd figure out that, all right, I'll wash you dry or whatever. It was, it was ridiculous, ridiculous. You know, they didn't know how to parent. You're kidding. They didn't get parented. They were given birth, and it was right and perfect. I thought about this this morning. I thought about what a joy. I, and watching the history of the Irish and looking at all the patterns. I mean, so many of the patterns that I see in my own family, I'm like, that's where that came from. That's where that came from. The priest, you know, I, I didn't like Catholic school, and the priest and I, man, we, we just had a thing going on. Because I kept pushing for the fun and the entertainment, and that wasn't cool. And then he'd come over, and he'd take me out in the hallway, and he'd tune me up. But that was their tradition. They said that the priests were these rugged guys and when they, they had to pull the Irish men out of the bars so they would go fill their jobs because the women were looking for some money to feed the kids. You know, if they had to get into a, a fist fight with them, they would. These priests were these, these rugged guys. That's a whole tradition. They're there to tune you up. There was no interaction. There was no looking at your feelings. Feelings, I'll give you a feeling. Crying, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> oh, that hurt. But that was the tradition. I am so grateful that I didn't have to raise my kids that way. I'm so grateful I came along at a time where it was like, yeah, I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I mean, I'm inspired enough to improve my life without having to get beat by somebody. But that's what the tradition was. It's fascinating where we've come. We're so blessed by what we have. So for me, when I, what, 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 what I look at in our opportunity as people on this planet right now is to wake up, to, to move into, and this is for me, to move into a spiritual maturity and an understanding so when the triggers come, when those, when those things show up in my life, I have a set of skills that I can manage it with so I don't get trapped in that energy, I don't get dragged off, and I can be productive and creative and free. Dr. Ernest Holmes says we are teaching a freedom and there's a difference. I talked about the brain chemistry. There's a difference. We're the science of mind. There's a difference between the brain and the mind. Dr. Holmes wrote in the, the Science of Mind textbook. It's in the glossary. It's a big, long paragraph. But he said that there is no such thing. There's no such thing as your mind and my mind and her mind and God's mind. There's only just mind. It's a field of information. It's a... It's a it's a container that we all have access to, that we live in. We're living in the mind of God, as Holmes would say. Conscious mind is spirit, either in God or man. And unconscious mind is the law of conscious mind acting and is therefore subconscious or subjective. Mind is potential energy, while thought is a dynamic force which produces the activity for manifestation. Now, that's a lot of words. In other words, whatever we dwell upon, we impress this infinite intelligence with a pattern because we're in it. We don't have to go somewhere to access mind. We're in it. We are influencing it all the time. And the only way we shift and change it is by the, our capacity and awareness to impress upon this infinite subconscious subjective aspect a new idea. It's called new thought for a reason. There are no new thoughts, but it's a new thought for you and I. So what would it look like if all of a sudden the triggers that kept you in this, this repetitive spin and cycle of, of lack got dismantled and there was a greater possibility? One of the things I love about Dr. Joe Dispenza's work is then we draw it to us. Then our good comes to us. It's not about forcing and manipulating. It's about understanding that as we, we impress upon it a new idea that our energy becomes so much more focused on our, our better future than it does our past, which requires saying enough. Enough is enough. I've learned everything I can from lack and limitation and buying into the myths, other people's ideas of how I should be fearful and, and who can I blame. Enough of that. We've got that down. We've got that mastered. There are, there are industries that are based on that. And so this is an exciting time we live in. We have this opportunity to step into it. And I need, I need practices in my life that will help unravel that. We've got this beautiful meditation coming up, meditation class coming up with Reverend Carmian on Tuesday nights. If your meditation practice can need a, needs a tune-up or you, you, you're going to commit to that to bring some... some uh, Momentum to that, it's a beautiful opportunity. Pure intent is around looking at our lives and creating your own mind movie. So part of the tu tuition of that $350, $100 of that goes to a mind movie subscription. So maybe you've seen a mind movie or two since I've, I've uh, gotten onto this. But the, for you to have a mind movie, to have several mind movies so that you can show yourself the images and the ideas that, that lift you up. See, we need, what, what worked 20 years ago doesn't work anymore. We are evolving so much in consciousness and to find new ways to teach. The old ways 20 years ago are obsolete now. 
And it's finding the new ways and, 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 and empowering ourselves and inspiring ourselves to live the most beautiful life possible. That's why we're here. It's to integrate the dark and the light. It's not to use spiritual practice as spiritual bypass. It's to realize, you know, at times I do get upset. At times I do go into rage or frustration or worry or anxiety or lack. But to catch ourselves and go, hey, that's just that old, that's those old ideas. That's what I was conditioned in. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm over here. And there are ways to do it, but it requires some intention and energy and devotion. And that's what this community is about. If we can come together as a community and do the integration work with our shadow and start to put our energy into something more potent, who knows what's possible? I don't want to outline it. I think it could be things that not even God itself will know. And that's why we're here. Why limit it? It's a beautiful thing. So thank you for being you. You are enough today, right now, just the way you are. That doesn't mean there's not opportunity for expansion and creativity, co-creation. That's a, that's a part of it too. But it does not serve us well to continue to, to bring up the reasons why we can't. Enough. So I'll see you in class. Blessings. Blessings.